I return for our reading to the book of Exodus. And we're looking at several uh, chapters this evening, so uh, in total it'd be too uh, long to read in their entirety, but we're picking out uh, three portions from Exodus 8 uh, to 10. We begin in Exodus 8. We're reading from verse 16 uh, through to 32, the end of the chapter. Of course, in the uh, the period of the, the plagues of Egypt, God fulfilling his word through Moses uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, Gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. The gnats were on men and animals. The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials, and throughout Egypt the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Then we take a few verses in uh, the middle of chapter 9. Chapter 9 at verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace And have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. 
and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace, stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. And finally, we move to chapter 10, and we begin to read at verse number 12. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields, the fruit in the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. The Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. The Apostle Peter, when he is writing about Paul's letters, says something that perhaps we find quite encouraging. Second Peter 3.16, he says of Paul, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. A reminder that not all parts of the Bible are easy to understand, and I'm sure we would testify to that fact. Of course, that shouldn't surprise us. If this is a book from God, if it's addressing the biggest issues, who is God, what is man, what's the meaning of life, what's wrong with the world, if those are the kinds of issues that God is addressing in this book, it shouldn't surprise us that there are parts of it that our little minds do find difficult to understand. And there are some parts of the Bible, some passages that cause uh, believers problems we might struggle with, and indeed that may be uh, misused by opponents of the Bible and of the Christian faith, used as a stick to beat Christians. We'll be looking at one of those parts of God's Word this evening. Uh, But we're not uh, going to, in our series of studies, look uh, individually at the plagues. We're not going to spend ten weeks a plague a week. Uh, But we're looking really at the bigger picture and how these fit into what God tells us about himself. And particularly this evening, as we're looking at Exodus 8 uh, to 10, uh, we're thinking of Pharaoh's hard heart. Because here we touch on issues that sometimes Christians do struggle with. 
What are these chapters teaching? Uh, And you do find, maybe you found uh, those who don't accept uh, the Bible and don't accept the Christian faith using uh, the hardening of Pharaoh as an objection to the Bible's teaching and the Bible's description of God. And so these are issues that as Christians we need to be able to think clearly about for our own spiritual health, but also uh, to be able to answer objectors. Pharaoh's hard heart. I want to think first of all of the problem, and then the rest of our time we'd be looking at uh, the solution. The problem first of all, what's the difficulty uh, that arises from these chapters in relation to Pharaoh? Well, the basic problem starts in many ways back in chapter 7. And there in verse 3, the Lord says to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And that will be repeated several times in the chapters that we read from earlier, 8, 9, and 10. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God's keeping his word, of course. That's what he told Moses he was going to do. But what are we to make of statements like that? That God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And often uh, those who uh, oppose the Bible's teaching, who wouldn't for a moment accept that it is God's word, uh, will say, well, look, how can you believe such a description of God uh, hardening the heart of a man, Pharaoh or whoever else? They would claim that that action surely makes God cruel and unjust. What kind of God hardens somebody's heart so that they do the kind of things that Pharaoh did? And how could God harden Pharaoh's heart, or the heart of anyone else for that matter, and yet hold Pharaoh accountable for his actions? How can the Lord blame Pharaoh for something that, they say, God made him do? Surely Pharaoh has a a perfectly valid excuse. God made me do it. And so I am not responsible. And for God to punish Pharaoh is to be unjust. Is that the kind of God uh, that we believe in? After all, in everyday life or in a a, a criminal or court situation, uh, if someone has been forced to do something at gunpoint, for example, well, that has to be taken into account by the judge. It may well mean that the person's not guilty of the action they performed because they were forced to do it. And they can't be held morally responsible for something that they were made to do. That would be unjust. No judge would convict them on that basis. But how can God then harden the heart of Pharaoh and then blame him for the evil that he does with his hard heart? It's a description of God, a portrait of God here in these chapters in Exodus that that seemed to rob Pharaoh of any kind of free will and reduce him to a sort of a puppet. God pulls the strings, and Pharaoh does whatever God uh, leads him, makes him do. How can Pharaoh be blamed for that? 
Is that the kind of God that the Bible presents? Is that the sort of God that Christians believe in? One who takes away our free will and yet holds us responsible for the sins that we commit. That seems to destroy any idea of moral responsibility. And some Christians may well find those questions hard to answer. Somebody comes at us and says, well, look at this here in Exodus. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and then blames him for the sins he commits. How do we answer that? Or maybe, indeed, some Christians themselves find the questions troubling and and don't have an answer, don't know how to respond, perhaps feel that their faith is is being shaken and their, their confidence in the Bible is weakened. When they encounter something like this, one of these hard passages. And yet we must have answers for our own spiritual peace and also to be able to answer those who raise objections to the faith. We can't simply refuse to answer because then we have no credibility and the gospel itself is damaged. Do we have any answers? And we do. There is a solution to the problem. That's the problem. That's the difficulty that Christians can find, either in answering objectors or coming up with answers that satisfy themselves. So what is the solution? How do we deal with those sorts of questions? Well, as always, of course, as we study the Word of God, we have to attend closely to what the Bible says. And to see the different statements that are made about Pharaoh here in these chapters in Exodus, and to set them in their wider Bible context, not just focusing on these chapters of Exodus, but to see how they fit the rest of the Bible. And there are really three statements relating to Pharaoh that get us down to the real issues. It's a matter of the heart. Pharaoh's hard heart is our title this evening. And the heart, remember, in the Bible isn't simply the blood pump. The heart in Bible language is really the very core of what you are. What your heart is, you are. It's your inner life. Takes in your uh, your spirit, your, your thinking, your uh, emotions, your will. Everything is the heart. This is the real person. So, what are the statements that we find in these chapters? The first one is Pharaoh's heart was hard. Pharaoh's heart was hard. That's the starting point for everything we want to say uh, about the situation. Pharaoh's natural condition as a sinner was that his heart was hard. Chapter 8, verse 19, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. It was after uh, the first uh, of the plagues. His heart was hard. Plague of blood, first of all, then the frogs, then the gnats, Pharaoh's heart was hard. He saw 
the handiwork of God. He saw the Lord at work, and his heart was hard. Sinful, hard heart. That's why he refused to let Israel go, of course. It's because of the sinful, hard heart that was within him. He was being perfectly consistent with the kind of person that he was by nature. As a sinner, he had a hard heart, and so he responded to God's word and God's miracles with hardness. And acting in that way, Pharaoh is showing himself to be just like every other sinner. It's not that Pharaoh's exceptional in some way in responding like this. The natural person in the spiritual state in which they are born is a sinner. And that's true of all of us, apart from the grace of God. We're no different. And we have many testimonies in the Bible to that fact. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And that's true of every sinner. No exceptions. It's not just some class of particularly uh, sinful people, those who have committed terrible deeds. It's every sinner. Heart is desperately sick. Indeed, our natural condition as sinners is described very strikingly uh, in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. We have a heart of stone. That's how we are spiritually towards God. We have a heart of stone. Utterly unresponsive. No spiritual life there whatsoever. As true of every sinner, it's true of Pharaoh. And it's true of us as we're born into this world. Well, some might say, ah, well, that's Old Testament pessimism. What about the New Testament? Well, we turn to the New Testament and we'll find exactly the same verdict. Paul, writing in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, reminds the believers in Ephesus, before you were converted, what were you like? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. So there isn't a more optimistic, a sunnier view of human nature in the New Testament. It's exactly the same. The stony hearts of Ezekiel are those who are dead in transgressions and sins in Ephesians chapter 2. No spiritual life in the sinner. And that's true of all of us by nature. We don't want to obey God. We don't want to respond to God's word any more than Pharaoh did. And indeed, dead in sins... We can't respond to God or to God's word. So Paul writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Romans 8 and verse 7. And Romans 8 is a great gospel chapter, and yet there's the truth about every sinner, his natural state, that we cannot submit to God's law. We don't want to. And so we can look back to Pharaoh in Egypt. There he is in his deadness with his stony heart. 
And the only thing that he will do, the only thing he wants to do, is close his ears to the word of God. Close his eyes to the miracles of the plagues. He's a sinner. That's what he'll do. That's what any sinner will do. Pharaoh is not some exceptional case. And so when Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go, he's doing what his sinful heart wants to do. No compulsion from outside. Uh, Moses doesn't hold a sword uh, in his side and force him. God doesn't compel him. He does what his stony heart wants to do. So he's free in what he does, and he's responsible for what he does, as every sinner is. So Pharaoh is not an exception to that biblical description of sinners, dead in sin, stony-hearted. So that's the first statement about Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hard. And so was the heart of every sinner. So were our hearts before God showed us his saving grace. Then our second statement about Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. We have to take into account the sort of statement that we have in chapter 8 and verse 15. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, in other words, when the plague was removed, Pharaoh reverts to type, he hardened his heart. Same thing after the plague of flies in chapter 8, verse 32, this time also. Pharaoh hardened his heart. So we're moving from something that Pharaoh was by nature to something that now Pharaoh is actively doing, hardening his heart further. Now there's a deliberate action on Pharaoh's part, fully consistent with his sinful nature. This is not out of character. This is not something unexpected. It's exactly what a man like Pharaoh, a fallen, sinful man, dead in transgressions, is going to do. When he's confronted with God's word and God's works, he hardens himself against them. In response to the mighty acts of God in the plagues, as the waters turn to blood, as the flies, as the gnats, as the darkness, as the locusts, and so on come, he hardens his heart further. He's consciously closing his heart to this message of God's sovereignty and God's supremacy. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to respond to it. And he's closing his heart deliberately, consciously, to what he's being confronted with, both in the message that Moses brings and in the plagues that God sense. He'd been about to give some ground uh, under pressure from the plague of flies. Imagine uh, why he'd want to do that in chapter 8. And he's edging towards letting Israel go. But as soon as the plague is removed, you can almost hear his sigh of relief. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And that is always the danger for sinners. Sinners in their disobedience and their rebellion. 
that they will set themselves more deliberately against God and against God's word. The sinner is not static. But if he's not improving by grace, he'll be getting worse. And sinners will harden their hearts. Things that might soften some will harden others. You see that, I'm sure. Someone perhaps has a friend who's converted, becomes a Christian. And maybe they're softened towards the gospel because they see God's worked in their friend's life. But somebody else may have a friend who becomes a Christian and they're hardened against the gospel and they're more anti-God's word because of what they've seen. And they're hardened by God at work. You may well have seen that. I certainly have. The things that might soften some will harden others. And they set themselves more consciously and more deliberately against God and against God's word. They may well be made harder by these things. And surely one of the clearest biblical examples of that has to be Judas. Think of that man who for three years listened to Jesus' teaching firsthand. And watched Jesus' life. And saw Jesus' miracles. And to close his mind and his heart to that, to that testimony, was surely a man hardening his heart. Indeed, if there is any human being who has a greater guilt exposed to the word and the works of God than Judas... I could not imagine. The Lord says it would have been better if he'd never been born. There must have been a, a, a powerful element of deliberately hardening his heart against what was there in front of him. That is always a danger for sinners. If they're not softened in the grace of God, the danger is they harden themselves further. And there are people like that. So first of all, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Secondly, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Deliberate action on his part, setting himself against God and against the things of God. But of course, we, we can't stop there because the Bible doesn't stop there. And the third statement has to be, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. If that solemn uh, statement in chapter 9 uh, and verse 12, it's after the plague of boils. And there we read, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. In view of Pharaoh's rebellion and hardening and refusal to respond. Now the Lord acts as judge. You see the judgment of God at work here, and he confirms Pharaoh in the course on which he has set himself. God the judge is confirming 
Pharaoh on the course he has chosen. In a certain sense, if we could put it this way, God is saying to him, have it your way. If you've chosen that route, then you will travel that route. God as judge. Pharaoh's not being compelled to do anything he doesn't want to do. He's not being forced to act in this way. We can't say, well, if if God had left him alone, he'd have let the Israelites go. That isn't the case. Pharaoh is still utterly consistent with his fallen, sinful, hard heart. God is not compelling him to do anything that he doesn't want to do and doesn't choose to do. Pharaoh remains free and responsible. Now, he's a slave to sin, as we all are by nature. But we choose to sin. We follow the course that we want to follow, and we are guilty on that account. Pharaoh's free. Pharaoh's responsible. There is nothing unjust in how God treats him. Now, how exactly the Lord, the sovereign God, hardened Pharaoh's heart? We're in the area of mystery. How God did it, what precisely uh, he, he did to harden Pharaoh's heart, is simply something we don't understand. It's not explained to us in Scripture. We probably couldn't understand. But we simply accept this is what the Word of God tells us. However, God worked in a mysterious and yet in a holy And in a just way, God the judge hardened Pharaoh's heart and confirmed him on the road he had chosen to travel. We see something of the same process, not with an individual, but with a whole society in Paul's description of society in Romans 1. And there Paul tells us that sinners set in rebellion against their creator are judged by God. Romans 1.24 Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, the different sins that are listed. God gave them over. God as judge is confirming them in the sinful path they have chosen, hardening their hearts. We see it in the society around us. As judge, the Lord is allowing them to follow their chosen course and reap the consequences. As a solemn thing to contemplate, that transition from hardening your own heart to being hardened by the Lord. It is a serious, it is a weighty thing. And yet the Bible sets it there before us. And God, as the righteous judge of all the earth, has the absolute right to do that. No one will be able to say to God, that wasn't fair. Pharaoh, when he stands before the judgment of God, won't be able to say, well, you didn't treat me justly, you made me do it he didn't. God, the righteous judge, has acted righteously and confirmed Pharaoh in the course that a sinful heart took him on. So there is a hardening that God, the judge, exercises. Of course, that's where analogies with human judges inevitably break down. 
And we can set this in the context of the New Testament. Again, uh, we can't escape by saying, well, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament's different. No, it isn't. If we turn to Paul in Romans chapter 9, there at verse 14, this is what Paul writes. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. There's Paul's commentary, really, on Pharaoh and how the Lord dealt with him. And in a wonderful way, we're being told uh, that even in his freely chosen rebellion and disobedience, Pharaoh was serving God's purpose. He did not for a moment want to do it, and didn't think that's what he was doing, but he did. Ultimately, even Pharaoh glorified God because God showed his greatness, his justice, and so forth in how he dealt with Pharaoh. Pharaoh served God's purpose, as every sinner in the end will do. They don't want to, but they will. They will glorify the justice of God and how he deals with them. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. Paul writes in Romans 9.18, he has the right to deal with sinners in this way. He has the right to save those he wishes to save, to show grace to sinners if he wills. But he also has the right to harden and confirm in sin. God the judge is supreme. God the judge is the standard of what is righteous. And there's no injustice in how he treats Pharaoh at all. And of course it underlines for us, does it not, the utter folly of setting out on the road of disobedience. Because unless we repent, it's leading to only one place. It's leading to destruction. It's leading to the place of judgment. The start on the road is folly. And the danger that we harden ourselves further and further. And God may not show grace. And God may not save. And God may indeed pour righteous judgment on the sinner. As the Bible tells us, he will. Unless we repent, we will perish. It's true of Pharaoh. It's true of every sinner. Was God unjust when he hardened Pharaoh's heart? And the Bible's answer is no, he wasn't. He was still the righteous, holy God. Pharaoh wasn't compelled to do anything that he didn't want to do. And when God hardened his heart, he was confirming Pharaoh in what his heart of stone wanted to do. And so our faith doesn't need to be shaken by chapters like these, by the issue of God's dealing with Pharaoh. 
We don't need to struggle and to wonder about what the Bible says of God and his holiness. The Bible gives us the answers. God, the righteous judge, always behaves righteously and in a holy way. And his name is glorified. Unbelievers may not wish to accept the solution, accept the answers the Bible gives. But that doesn't mean the Bible's answers are not true and valid. God is a holy God, and Pharaoh stands as a warning to sinners. Without the grace of God, we will go on in our sin and ultimately reap the harvest of the wrath of God. It is a solemn subject, but the Bible sets it out for us clearly and leaves us with no excuse if we will not hear the word of life that the Lord provides for us.